G'day, g'day, and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and this week we're in Gunnedah. We're at the Agquip Field Days. I'm sitting down with the fellas at Clipex. We're on Gamilaroi country. I want to pay my respects and acknowledge the traditional custodians on the lands wherever you're taking our podcast this week and every week. Now, I'm sitting down with Lockie Knight and Ned Olson. They're both from Clipex. We want to find out more about each of their backgrounds, but also how this Aussie success story in the Clipex business evolved from wanting to do the fence post slightly differently. I reckon that's bloody fascinating. Everything from how Ned's family moved over to China to establish and build the factory, coming back and then evolving from just a fencing business into all these other different innovations. And I think it's a pretty easy, fascinating chat that we're just having sitting just at their stand next to the Hereford's barbecue. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's just jump into it. I hope you enjoy it. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these different conversations because we're certainly hitting a little bit of diversity and different areas of the ag industry. Let's get into it. Ned, Lockie, welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. A beautiful day here at Agquip. Where would you rather be? I'm a snow bunny, so I'd prefer to be on the slopes just about any day of the year, I think. Tell me what the ski season was like because I saw some videos and it honestly it was like skiing overseas and it was skiing in Australia and it was just mud this year. I can't comment about this year. You haven't been yet? No, we're going. My brother lives in Canada now. He's married to a Canadian and living over on a ski hill over in Kimberley, just probably an hour from Fernie. So we're doing a trip for a white Christmas and January at the end of the year. So we're uh, holding back our urge to ski till then. So you're saying you're a bit of a ski snob now, you're too good for Australia. If it's not at uh, X thousand feet above Mount Kosciuszko, you don't look at it? No, actually, we're renovating an old Victorian at the moment. It's cost a bit more money than I thought. <laughs> and I've got five kids, so Canada costs a bit more than I was hoping to. Well, that's what I was going to ask, whether I could come in your check luggage, but then remembered you'd probably have enough of that. <laughs> it would be a bit, taking all five with you. Yeah, no, it's... Um, well, we travelled a lot to China over the years, like we've done a few stints in China with different amounts of kids one kid the first time two kids then three kids so our kids did a lot of traveling when they were younger the older ones but the yeah the youngest one's six now and he's never been overseas but it will definitely an experience quite the adventure <laughs> and what about for you like you just you're more of a tropics man i hear spending your time up well, I've been up north for work at the moment, but it is, I'm a little bit heavy set for that tropical climate. I do prefer being down here. A little bit of dry heat's far better for here. But I don't quite have five, but I've got four. So my favourite's sort of just out at the farm, tinkering out there and bunning sausages on a plough plate over a fire and a bit of horse riding motorbikes. That sort of stuff, playing with cows. You look good after your trip up north. <laughs> a bit more chiselled. A bit more chiselled, yeah. Sweat it out. What someone say to me earlier? It's like living in a sauna. Literally. Sweated out. That's amazing to be in uh, torrential rain blowing sideways with a sweat up. Yeah, no, I reckon you can keep that. The humidity doesn't work well with me. March in Brisbane's about enough, I think, so. Yeah, going up there in summer's a bit rough. You hop off the plane in Townsville and go, <gasps> <laughs> So I'm interested with both of you, but maybe I'll start with you. Like your background, I've had the chance to sit down with your mum before and have a bit of a chat, Isabel, and <laughs> it wasn't for my succession planning. I didn't have to go through that, so I'm fine. Tell me a little bit more about where you grew up and, I guess, that early influence of agriculture for you. We grew up on a property or a family farm. So, originally, Dad was in a partnership with his brother and they sort of separated that just before I came along or around the same time I sort of did. 
and they're on a place at Wetalabar, just between sort of Binaway and Cooler. And were there and were sort of looking for a little bit more, uh, mum in particular, looking for a bit more to do professionally in, in her career. But then also for us, it sort of reached that tipping point of do we go away to boarding school or do we move so that we actually had opportunities growing up. And so they looked at businesses and things in Sydney and there was no way you'd tear dad off the land. The reason he was looking for businesses in Sydney and things was he's actually allergic to grass and trees, so great thing to have for a farmer. <laughs> but, yeah, couldn't get away from it. And so I ended up buying a place over here in Tamworth because for schooling and the opportunity and things like that. So a property just out at Loomba. And so we grew up there and did school in Tamworth. And dad's sort of approach to sort of ag was that he didn't want to overcapitalise in country so he didn't actually buy a, a massive place so just did a lot of trading of stock did breeding operations as well in the early days I mean running sheep but he then more into the cattle trading side of things and the best thing about that for him was he was able to get scale without overcapitalising in land and infrastructure and property but also too usually you kicked off an adjustment place when it starts to get dry, usually just before the market starts to drop or get out and it's a little bit of flexibility instead of being tied to a block of land that's exposed for drought, fire and flood, that is flexible and able to move. So there were times where we sort of scaled in numbers from only running a couple of head through to quite a few thousand and at one point there having cattle spread from sort of Yass, Tamworth through to Krakow in Queensland on all different types of country, all different areas and blocks and where it is. So I got a fair experience doing that. So a lot of time for me growing up was spent missing school to go to the sale yards or go and muster cattle in the territory for three weeks living out of a stock camp there or disappearing for three or four days out to Warren to muster draft and process and living out of the horse float or a swag on the ground and back. So the adventure or the attachment to it came from all of that it was the hard work and everything that went into it but also the nicer sides and the enjoyment from it so yeah I really enjoyed that doing that how did your old man go did he do all of that himself with you guys like to actually make it possible or did he have a team of workers so he did it all himself good stock agent good relationships he's someone who could walk into any town or any area and walk into the pub and say hi to five people they just knew just amazing networker horrible with names like me absolutely useless but never forgot a face and for some reason was imprinted on most people he met so they'd always say hello to him but he did most of that himself and did it with part so partners so he started doing low stress stock handling with jim and graham rees that then transferred into say klr marketing and that side of things as well and through that we did run adjustment with say graham or he did stuff with Jim, so he often had partnerships along the way. Obviously, RCS and Executive Link and things opened the doors there with quite a few contacts and business partners. But a lot of the time was just having good relationships with his stock agent and stock buyers and things like that. And you mentioned that you guys had moved from Wetalaba so your mum could also build her career. So she, both your old man was flat out covering the east coast of Australia on the cattle side. Your mum was building her career in business as well. So she, um, when I came across to Tamworth, she started with a sort of Rabobank doing sort of succession planning there and that sort of similar sort of role and really identified that the succession structure within the banking sector was about the financial succession of businesses and wasn't about the actual people side to it. And mum's and dad's sort of 
there's a little bit of a toss and turn and it was just a bit awkward in relation to their leaving the business and the partnership they were in and she just was sort of going well it's not just about the financial succession of business it's actually about the people side of it and so developed or changed the way succession sort of looked at that yes that's a big side of it and it's not just about the farm it's also what about the people that are off farm what value and contribution have they got or where does that go and then what happens with mum or dad afterwards and how do people feel how do you have a relationship as a family at the end of it without people holding resentment and everyone sort of feeling that they've got what they want and so the legal and financial side took a back step to the actual people side of the business and she identified that was sort of a gap and so that's what drove her to start her own business in it so the connection with ag is just strong right through every region and spend forever going oh you're Isabel's son no I've got no idea what you're talking about <laughs> just frightened on which side that person had landed in the planning yeah. occasionally so you just introduce yourself as Lockie just Lockie yeah that's right <laughs> That's right. Sort of touch, go a little bit steady till you work out whether they were the ones that were really happy with the outcome or not. <laughs> oh, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about for you, Ned? Where, like, you're obviously, are you living now in Victoria, so you're closer to the ski fields? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, at the moment I'm, yeah, between a little town called Oxley in between Millowa and Wangaratta. Kids are going to school down there and we're... Mainly my wife is renovating an old Victorian that we bought down there and I'm between there and the family farm in Goulburn. So when I'm not working for Clipex and I get spare time between the five kids and the Renos, I oversee the uh, the family farm. We run a few sheep down there in Goulburn. Also just yeah, passionate about the land and just being connected with what we do and that's what I do to centre myself a bit is just get on the land and around stock and enjoy doing that with the kids and i'm interested with both of you like starting with you ned how come you've looked at the opportunities outside the farm gate and maybe you didn't just stay on the farm in goulburn yeah well, it's been one big roller coaster <laughs> didn't know exactly where we were turning or up or down or what was going on but yeah we left the family farm when we started clipex we tried to get well to start with when we first developed the idea of the fence post we just thought you know it's a cracking idea why wasn't it being used while people still tying off fence posts after all this time and no one that we approached was really interested in doing anything with the idea so we just we thought it was too good an idea and the need was too great just to to let it die so we thought we'd give it a crack ourselves and we had a few manufacturing issues trying to outsource the manufacturing of the product and we decided we'd just go for broke and really have a good crack and we'd moved to China ourselves and set up our own factory and that's when we l- left the family farm all of us except for my 17 year old brother at the time he stayed and flew the flag at the field day saying you know we're coming we'll make it <laughs> we might have fence posts next year <laughs> and you know it wasn't meant to uh, go the way that it did but you know we ended up just taking a lot longer to set up the factory in China and distribution needs and things i ended up moving to brisbane and oh sydney for a bit and then to brisbane we settled in brisbane for a while and then decided that i was just missing the country a bit too much and uh, opportunity came to sort of relocate to tamworth actually we we're setting up our first sort of regional branch down in tamworth and i thought it was a good place to raise kids and good school network and so we moved to tamworth and started trying to look for a bit of country down there to get back on the land a bit 
And that, yeah, my role in Clipex ended up growing with the business. I was the CEO at the time and just found myself travelling a lot and not really probably having time to look after a farm as well as the kids and do those things. So we put that on the back burner for a bit, but then it sort of got to a stage in our business where we changed things up a little bit and my father moved back from China. He'd been living there for, you know, over 10 years and just sort of decided that I'd work a bit more strategically in the business and on the business and then he would take over sort of the day-to-day operational side and that's where we decided that moving back to the family farm was the right thing for us at that time and so the plan still to actually end up in Goulburn on the family farm but just haven't got there just taking a detour (laughs) (laughs) my sister-in-law convinced me that and my wife that yeah moving down there next to them for a little bit and renovating a house and kids doing a bit of life together with their cousins and stuff was a good idea which it has been really good for us and but yeah now eventually looking forward to getting back on the farm and being based down at Goulburn. I'm going to come back to you in a second Lockie so I think we glossed over maybe that decision so you guys were farming the frustration was looking at well why are people still using wire to tie off to the fence post there's other ways to do it. Well actually no that's we still the farm the family farm had been cut a few different ways so the land that my father had inherited off my grandfather wasn't really enough probably to sustain you know the family and a few boys so we had off-farm income and a business in Goulburn at that time actually ended up selling cars and machinery and stuff for a while there actually I was a buyer and seller and I went you know bought a lot of things at auctions and found things for people and friends that wanted to buy vehicles or cars or trucks I used to, you know, go and find it for them and sell it to them. That was sort of our bit of off-farm income at the time. So always looking at, you know, I was always sort of passionate about business as a kid. I had a lot of family growing up. We background is Olsen's Salt Blocks and Pacific Salt. My cousins started the Greens group with the pancake mix and cake mixes and stuff like that. And always just from a, you know, a young kid, I always wanted to sit at the grown-ups table and, you know, it was interested in business and starting your own thing and that was always a passion of mine so I was always you know we traveled around Australia when I was 17 for 18 months in a motorhome that we'd built and my mum tried but she could never get me actually doing the homeschool work that she paid for (laughs) I'd learn how to use Excel on the computer and I was passionate about doing up my little business plans and coming up with ideas and trying to convince dad that maybe we could start a business or something was always a passion of mine so when we moved to the farm it was always a bit of a passion or looking for off-farm income and setting up businesses and yeah that you know the picture actually came dad was driving home from the uh, workshop where we had the car business and vehicles and he saw an old farmer trying to pull down an old fence actually wasn't building a new one and my father is a praying man and he's praying at the time just going god there's got to be an easier way <laughs> and you know he got a bit of a, a picture or vision you know when he got home of just oh you know an idea for a fence post when me and my brother got home that night he showed us and we went oh yeah that could that's got legs maybe that could work next day we got onto a patent attorney and our cousin tick olsen he always had a few things on the go and you'd patent attorneys and stuff so we thought you know maybe we can get a bit of protection on this if we develop it and one thing led to another and you know we developed the product and just saw that it would actually work and it would solve just a major problem that farmers had of just that manual labor of fencing it's the one job that 
no one wanted to do. I remember being a kid going down to help grandpa and my uncle's fence and I was always the whippersnapper pulling the bottom wire through the, you know, the posts. Covered in mud. And you only have to do, you know, it felt like doing, you know, days and miles at the time, but I probably did 300 metre stretch and it just felt like a huge job. Now we're, you know, building fences with some clients, you know, simple fences and barbed fences. They're doing, you know, six and eight kilometres a day, not 300 metres. But yes, always knew that fencing was harder than it that should have been. And that's what led us to really pursue the idea. It's pretty funny, isn't it? Like when you think of some of the, I guess, inventions that have really changed Australia, like the hills hoist in the backyard, something as simple as the fence post, just looking at it a slightly different way, what that can go onto when you actually look around, I guess, your site here at Agquip and actually look at now the products that have evolved from there. <laughs> and in quite a short period of time, because like what year was it when the, that you guys actually started that process of patenting? And Oh, that was 2007. Yeah, so we launched the product in 2008, a bit of a false start, but we launched it. So we won Inventor of the Year that year, and we probably didn't need too much encouragement, but that probably gave us a bit more encouragement. So we're um, Swedish background, my family, Olsen, and uh, we just always say it's the Viking that comes out in us, up for a fight and a bit of a challenge and explore. But I suppose I always grew up as a kid in our family that if there's a problem, you know, it's just because there's a solution, you know, waiting to be found. So that was always our approach to things. And just hurdle after hurdle that we struck, we just we just find a way to push through. And there, we hit some delays in the fence post side of the business. We moved over to China, had everything lined up, you know, battled for six months with the government to let them, to let us set up a wholly owned company over there we didn't want any Chinese business partners and that took that was a challenge in itself but we spent all this time setting up we were only planning to buy the steel effectively steel post and then do the manufacturing you know the cutting the points putting the clips on controlling that side of the quality and then the day that we turned up to our manufacturer we'd been working with to uh, place our first order they uh, showed us that the uh, production line to make the steel post was all in pieces They'd won a big railway contract, which was the main part of their business, and the fence post line had just gone. And we're like, you know, we've been talking to you every week. Why should you tell us that your line's gone? Oh, just, you know, typical Chinese waiting for you to come here and see whether maybe we could, you know, still get some money out here or get you to place an order. Or And that just led to another challenge. We'd crisscrossed China, and we just knew that the quality of a lot of the other manufacturers with fence posts were producing in China was just not up to standard and we weren't happy with the way that they operated with their workers and other things so we sort of hit a major supply issue like we've got a great clip and put a slot in it but we need an actual post to put it on so we worked on developing our own patented sort of fabrication method of actually we make the posts ourselves now in-house through a different sort of method to traditional steel post making but while that was developing, you know, we needed cash flow, we needed other ideas and just an opportunity came about to manufacture cattle panels for another company and that's sort of where our cattle handling, animal handling journey began, needing a bit of work and cash flow to keep our fence post dream alive. And, you know, one thing led to another and I'm sort of there going, Look, we're in China, we can produce a quality product, why are we competing with... You know, every Mr Wong making cheap panels. We should be making crushes. We should be developing this innovation to be had in the industry. 
So we went down a, a pretty steep development path on the animal handling side, trying to uh, develop the world's best sort of product. We always thought if we're going to develop a product, it should be sort of our own thing. It should be new. It should be unique. We didn't want to just copy something else. So we worked with some of you know Australia's leading designers for cattle crushers and things and worked with Reg Trithui, who's behind a lot of other cattle crush manufacturers, and to develop our first things. And that just one thing led to another and I was helping another cousin actually out at Charleville that background cattle at the time for ACC. He'd also induct a lot of cattle for that area. They'd bring them into his yards, he'd induct them, put them back on trucks to go to other adjustment properties they'd had. And he had a fairly simple yard set but was really well designed. He'd worked with Bud Williams and other people to design his cattle yards and he had a good tub system and on the Temple Grandin principles and an air crush. And after operating his yards for a couple of days and seeing just him and his wife operate it, I'm just like, everybody in Australia should have a set of yards like this. Why don't we? And he told me how much he had to pay for the tub and the crush and the race at the time, which was the unique part. And I was just there going, that's, you know, we've got to be able to do it more affordably than that or different and better. And that sort of led to that, you know, next step in our animal handling development of why can't we, you know, make the world's best yards for especially for the family farmer to make them safe and operate efficiently and it shouldn't be beyond uh, reach of the you know the average farmer what's driven us a lot is the, we don't want to make just unique niche products we want to make products that are uh, available for everybody really that's our passion so and with our manufacturing capability and our engineering we've sort of been able to help accommodate for a broad spectrum of you know price ranges and applications in our animal healing products so that's been a good part of our journey and that's where we've got to today i suppose it's just never at the time did i think <laughs> that we're going to have thousands of SKUs of items and all that stuff you started with just trying to even have one fence post and that was I thought that was hard enough trying to manage having one product that you're making now we're making thousands but it's been a good journey and it's different things have happened over the years and introductions and meeting people and we now have a good business over in Europe based in Ireland and one in Uruguay in South America working with some local boots on the ground over there in Uruguay and then the same we've got a, a good guy Kevin who started as a fencing contractor actually using our product over in Ireland and was interested in you know seeing if we could start a business together over in Ireland and we've done that and we've been over there now for probably 10 years now in the UK and Ireland and those businesses are just sort of exploding at the moment over in and all the development that we've been doing here in Australia sort of is applicable for those overseas markets as well. I mean, if you've got to handle cattle, you've got a electronic identification and safety and it applies any, everywhere, you know, you go now overseas, especially in the bigger markets. And so, yeah, that's... It's a heck of a story, my God. <laughs> hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. 
If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Look, I'm interested for you. There's such a strong family story which has come as part of it. You've been with the business seven or eight years now. Just over seven now. So, I guess initially, what was it that drew you into the business too? But also, like how important is it for you, I'm going to say as an outsider, as someone who's come into the business but not as part of the family to, yeah, I guess, feel aligned to that purpose and vision, I guess, which I took from it being about making high-quality, affordable products available for the everyday farmer so they can use it in an operation which makes it safer for their operations, better on animals, more efficiently, etc. Is that right? The biggest thing off the back of that, which is where all that leads to, is that end sort of solution-driven outcome for people is actually going, here's a problem that exists in agriculture at the moment, whether it be labour, whether it be safety, whether it be efficiency, whether it be how we're actually doing things, how we can actually make this job more enjoyable so that more people actually want to stay in farming, that it's mum and dad who are getting older can still stay and do and help and that piece for me is the piece that really I connect to a lot is that fixing a problem for someone and not something that's going to break the bank not and something that they mightn't have thought before that's one of the things that I see the Olsons do really well is go well here's a problem that exists how can we help fill that gap or fix that for everyone not just a corporate customer not just guys that have been in the business or in the industry for five six seven generations but someone that's just come into it that mightn't know much about the but here's a leading market leading product that actually meets your needs that's easy to use that is affordable that fixes that problem particularly nowadays with what I see a lot of with labor shortages and also the cost of labor and things like that mum and dad being able to do that job in a way that is quick, safe, efficient. The accuracy that's required around what you're actually doing. There's not just crazy margins. It's tight. So being able to maximise that and the roll-on from that is the actual infrastructure side of the side of the business not costing a fortune and being easy too. Uh, your ongoing maintenance side of stuff being reduced. It's simple for you to do it. It's not something you've got then got to get an expert out to fix or whatever else. It's obviously a service that we offer to actually service and maintain and look after all the product that is out there, but it's not something that is going to cause a headache or be down for months and months. What's your favourite part of the job now? My favourite part of it is having people abuse me because they've got to sell their dog. <laughs> so we deliver a set of yards or something like that and I get a phone call going, just bought this bloody dog, what are we going to do with it now? And I go, what are you talking about? Well, I don't need it. You talk, oh, well, we closed the back gate and they're already running up through the handler and the sheep were filing through. Or the best one was in a feedlot probably two years ago where they hadn't actually, they'd started using the work area and the crush and the yards and the auto functionality and everything that they'd bought. They had started using it before we'd done an induction or a training on how to use it. And so there's three of them working in the yards and they're sort of processing and doing their induction through and I arrived and we did a run through on the auto crush and showed them the that extra functionality and that next level of how easy it is to do. And the poor young fella standing on the tub behind me went, oh, there goes my job. <laughs> but the owner turned around going, no, you just not needed here. Go jump in the tractor and start feeding. 
there was that freedom of they weren't going to lose a worker or drop them out of it, but they were able to actually get on to other jobs that they weren't able to do. Having even some of the local guys here going, oh, I don't know about this, Lockie. I'm going, sorry, what? Oh, I'm not sure whether we've done the right thing. Oh, it's very permanent. It's very concrete. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, mate, it's taken us a day what used to take us two. What am I going to do with the spare time? That, for me, is what the end result. That's what I love about it. That's the... It is that end, that problem that's fixed. It's that end outcome for the customer. And it's the, hey, I wish we'd be able to do this or I wish there was something out there that could do this. And that's what I love with working with the Olsons is that you go, hey, we're customers that want this. Yeah, all right, eh? Let's see how that fits. Let's see if what we can do to deliver that. Let's see how that incorporates or fits in with our solutions. So where do you see it going for the mum and dad farmers, the family farmers and whatnot? Where do you see... I guess, the business going to support the evolution of farming now? Well, with what we're doing, what's available is a a lot of it, it's always constantly emerging and growing, but it's always sort of seen to be taken up by large corporate companies. The guys with the big checkbook, the guys that have got the workers, it's one of the biggest things we get when people see the setup, particularly, say, here at Agquip, where they go, oh, gee, you've got to be working a lot of cattle to justify something like this. And I'm going, well... It's designed for one or two people. It's designed for a single operator. It's so you're not on your own working a race and racing up here to quickly shut that gate or racing back there to shut that gate. It is automated. It is remote controlled. And you've got guys that are, say, trading enterprise where they're going, I'm only running sort of 100, 150 head. Well, how often are you putting them through the yards? Well, 10, 12 times a year. Well, you're putting 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 head through the yards a year. A lot of those bigger guys that are running those larger numbers might bring 2,000 in once. Oh, hang on a second. When you put it that way, well, you're spending a lot of time in there. And having it so that it's not a job that you hate doing. I think the first sort of hook that was in was just after I started was a customer looking at a sheep handler and him going, I'm looking at it for safety and doing the typical sales spiel of, oh, well, it definitely is safer and you're out of the yards and it takes that manual handling. He goes, no, Lockie. Not for that. Oh, yeah, I can see that. That's fine. I can see that. But no, not for that. And I said, what do you mean, Pete? And he goes, safety at home. My wife said, if I come home with the shits one more time and speak to the kids like that after a day in the sheep yards, I think she's going to shoot me. So I bought it for safety at home. (laughs) And that was the end thing was just that being able to go and do that job that you mightn't necessarily want to do or is often hard, labour-staking, back-breaking, tying off the bottom and wire on a fence, that... It takes that out of it that you get to come home with a smile on your face and play with the kids. You, you're not broken by the time you're 40. That side of stuff is where it's really going, is that not needing a full work crew or team to be able to do it, to be able to take that operation on and enjoy it and do the job you probably should have done three weeks ago but just kept putting off, but now it's critical, that you actually go, you know what, it's nothing, we'll just run the stock and we'll run around and draft them. <laughs> get it done right away. Ned, I'm interested... So as a kid before you were saying, you were quite a dreamer, thinking of the, the way that you could start a business, grow a business, etc. But what's it like now? You've got the business going through the UK, Ireland, Australia. How did you, I guess, manage your, the dreams of what it could be in those early days and actually, I guess, manage and just focus on the core of what the business was? I suppose we've been blessed as a family to have different giftings and different roles. And that's the only reason that the, the Clipex story exists or that we are where we are now is the fact that we were a family unit that had different gifts or things to contribute and different lanes to to stay in or run 
And, you know, my dad's a fitter and machinist by trade and good with his hands and good on machinery and things. My older brother, he's a real creative and engineer. He's good with self-taught now, but, you know, on solid works and 3D modelling and designs and solving problems on that side of things. My, you know, my next younger brother, Stafford, he's just a super diligent worker, as honest and trustworthy as they come and just diligent, works hard and he's just committed and he's really, you know, passionate about what he does. I mean, he stayed back in Australia when he was 17 and and did, uh, I don't know what he did, maybe 30 field days by himself. We bought him a a one-ton ute and a trailer and he grew up real quick and went around Australia to all the field days. and Sleeping on the truck at most of them. Yeah, and just, you know, working (laughs) big days and, you know, moved around the country to different spots and just... You know, and he, he's more analytical and he's more, you know, operational. And But he's been a tremendous salesperson because of just, you know, customers just want service and honesty and he's been able to deliver that. And sometimes it's just solutions like, mate, I've got a problem. Don't just tell me you don't have it or what I can't have. Just present back at least solutions and options. And, and he's been really good at that in his role in sales over the years as well. And then he, now my youngest brother who sort of joined the business sort of halfway through our journey he's in the, in the marketing side and a real creative you know helped take our videos and all that stuff just to the next level and branding and things in our business so yeah we sort of really worked well as a family i was always sort of in different roles sales and marketing more like largely in the beginning and also probably on the product development side helping sort of analyze which products we should develop first or where they needed to sit in the marketplace price-wise or options and feature-wise involved in that. But it got to a stage where we were just trying to tread water and just survive. You know, it just starts growing and things happen and you've just got to keep it, keep the wheels spinning. You know, and we, then you have droughts and floods and issues and, you know, all of a sudden it's all hands on deck for a different problem that wasn't there last month and we've been able to adapt over those last 15 years those obstacles that have come our way but we've been fortunate just that you know I always used to say and even my grandfather would say to me you know lets a lot of businesses down or business plans or whatever it's just it's people like people is the thing that is harder to control like you build a machine and that machine will do you know hopefully what you programmed it to do or set it to do and it'll do that same job day in day out people aren't just machines you know you've got and um, so that's been a real learning side for all of us really over the last you know especially probably the last 10 years is just learning on that people side how to work well with people and you know and it's different you know when it's your own business and you started the business from scratch you just you know you do what you've got to do and you understand the business then understanding if you bring somebody in you can't just expect them just to to know what's going on or treat it like their own like you've got to teach them you've got to set up processes and that's been just the biggest probably learning curve for us but we've been fortunate along the way just to have some really good people coming into the business and that's helped us get to where we are you know Lockie coming into the business for me was I loved his approach to that solution side of things too and just his you know to find somebody with the experience that he had at that young age you just don't find that you know and through his dad and what his dad dad had done and taught him and just through you know Lockie as well he's hard work and he's really passionate about livestock and handling stock and you know we sort of 
grown together in that that we uh, would like to say that we know what we're doing but it's probably a bit more fake it till you make it (laughs) approach with me but like we had the family farm growing up and you know I'd spend my school holidays and stuff down there mainly with my grandfather spraying serrated tussock in the world (laughs) you know but always enjoyed at least if we got to can we move cattle today grandpa can we jump on the motorbikes or something and most of the time it's just spraying weeds but so our exposure really to farming like versus a lot of our clients was really little like it always been around it but never had to really rely on it so you know our experience was a little bit limited but yeah, but then, you know, bringing someone like Lockie that has had a broad exposure to cattle and, and that he's grown up with his dad, Rod, that was uh, Rodney, that, you know, on the low stress stock handling and really being interested in how to handle animals well and safe and look after the animal welfare. And it's not just about one plus one equals two or about getting the designs right and the operator. And that was something that we didn't have and we knew that we if we want to be offering the best solutions and doing the right by our customers that we we need to not just convince them to buy something but we need to get them into something that's going to solve their problem and be the right solution and the training side if they're going to do something different to how they've always done it grandpa's done it then we're going to need to educate and train and, and Lockie's really good at that as well at that training piece of educating customers about animals and you know, why to do this and not to do that. And, um, you know, so that's been, you know, still been a roller coaster, hasn't it, Lockie? Well and truly. <laughs> Fumbling your way through it. But, yeah, no, one thing that I've always yeah, enjoyed working with Lockie is that, you know, he's, he's passionate about what we do and that, you know, he's brave enough to stick up his hand if he doesn't know or needs help or drops the ball. And, and that's what we really like in our business is that integrity and that honesty is a big backbone of how we like to operate. A question for both of you. I know you've got things to go on and do. So, same question, I'll let each of you answer it. But I think, Ned, I'll go to you first. Knowing what you know now about just, I guess, the breadth of agriculture and what you've been exposed to through growing this business globally, if you had the chance to go and chat to your 10 students about what a career in agriculture could offer them, what would you say to them? I suppose it's... whether it's bias or it's just me personally like I was saying before my farm is a bit of my you know where I get my energy and you know enjoy doing with my kids and things but for me I just I think it's such a rewarding industry you know we're not just producing some digital tech that no one sees or some ones and zeros like we're actually you know there's just something good and natural about growing things and growing them with your hands or handling animals and i think it's it's a really i find it's a really rewarding industry to work in and it's i'm just amazed you know just how much actual opportunity and different roles there is it's not just sitting in a header or sitting in a tractor or on a motorbike or in yards or selling agents you know it's the science side of things the processing it's so broad and there's so much opportunity and i think it's that one thing that the world's got to eat so i think it's going to be there for a long time so i think if you're choosing a career that's rewarding and has a lot of opportunity and i think has legs i think agriculture is definitely one of those industries that yeah that you won't regret thank you and what about for you Lockie? I think with it, it's about that nature and nurture. It's that you're growing, protecting, you're caring. You see a a tangible reward and return for your effort. 
in what you're doing, whether it be, say, from a labour perspective of building a fence. It's that stand back at the end of the day of hard work and go, I built that, look at that, and that's going to last and stand. It's from raising and caring for stock. There's very few people that, that don't get a kick or a reward out of actually having an animal grow and look after it, not only from just a actual growth perspective but a demeanour and mannerism and how they behave and things and the community involvement that's in it is phenomenal and the one thing about the ag sector is there is absolutely every opportunity and every interest and bench you have it's not just about sowing lines in a paddock it's not just about cows and sheep it's got everything in it like you wouldn't think and I that's one of the things I love about this job is the diversity in it from flying drones to map and plan and survey land for areas that lead to then how we manufacture and go for that it's the whatever interest you've got there's guaranteed to be an agricultural application for it so if you've got an interest in ag or you want that wholesome sort of lifestyle that comes with hard work that whatever your interest there is going to be an application or a bent to it as well and you mightn't realise it now, but there'll be an emergence or maybe you're the one that brings that emergence to it. So it's an industry that people are willing and always willing to take on new ideas and if it can better or improve their operation or their quality of life, they're going to get behind it and support it. And I think that, yeah, it's definitely something which has come through, isn't it? Identify a problem, come up with a solution that's going to make people's lives better, easier, more relaxing, whatever it might be. Yeah, so Ned, Lockie, thank you so much for... Having a yarn. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.